Last week on the Let's Get Real podcast, I dealt with the issue of Marxism. This week, I want to deal with the whole idea of socialism and communism, because there seems to be a confusion in parts of the church that think that communism and socialism are biblical concepts. And what I'm going to do on this episode is I'm going to refute that idea and show you why these things break down. My name is Rob Lundberg, and you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week. Last week, I dealt with the whole idea of Marxism, and I referred you to a source, and I can want to continue to refer you to the source by my friend Curtis Bowers, and I'm hoping to eventually maybe do a video podcast with him so that he can lay out for you um, uh, what this is all about, what his videos are all about, because... The Agenda videos received awards in various markets. The first one is Agenda Grinding America Down. And the second one was Agenda Enemy Within. And then there's a third one. I'm going to have to get the the title for that one. But I want to let you know the reason why I'm doing this. And the reason why I'm doing this is because there seems to be a lot of deception in the Christian church today, thinking that socialism is a amenable idea to biblical truth. And nothing could be further from the truth. So the question is, how should we as Christians view socialism. And then what I'm going to do towards the second part of our presentation here is answer the question, does the Bible support communism? And I'm going to tell you, our view on socialism is it's not a biblical concept. I've done episodes on this before. And I know that I have spoken on the issue of communism, I think maybe once before, but I'm not sure. I'm going to have to go back into my histories. But it's been a while. You know, when we look at our governments, and I'm not anti-government, so this is not a rebellion against the government. If anything, I'm against the zeitgeist of the government. And that is the spirit of the age of the government and the ideology. I'm not against the people in position as people. I'm against their ideologies because they're anti-American. They are anti-Constitution. They are anti-the Federalists. And yes, I would put myself in as a conservative Federalist. And i got to go back and read the Federalist Papers again. But I, those are the ideas. I, on, uh, on October 12th, 1987, 
in the Alfred E. Murrah building, which is no more in Oklahoma City. Folks, that was a MEP center. I swore an oath. And I received my esti estimated termination of service with the United States Army on 15 October of 1995. But that oath that I swore to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, has not ended, did not end on 15 October of 1995. As a professor of worldview religions and Christian apologetics, I also love this country. And I want to let you know that I am about supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States ideologically and whatever else possible as far as I am able. Now, what I want to do in this episode, again, as I just mentioned, is how should a Christian respond to socialism? You know, a lot of the Secular university colleges today are pumping out socialistic ideals. And I want to let you know that the average professor, depending on how many students they touch, so to speak, in their teaching, they're going to influence for the next 30 years each student that they reach. Folks, we have a problem. Because the secular university is pumping out Marxism, as I mentioned last week, socialism, and even communist ideologies. And I'm going to address that and also in the show today. So let's deal with the first one. How should a Christian view socialism? Well, we have to understand that socialism is essentially an economic theory. It is a societal system in which property, natural resources and the means of production are owned and controlled by the governmental state rather than by individuals or private corporations or companies. A basic belief of socialism is that the society as a whole should share in all goods produced as everyone lives in cooperation with one another. And various, you know, there are various theories of socialism that have been put forward ever since ancient times. And folks, that even includes a form of Christian socialism. There's nothing, nothing compatible with Christianity and socialism. I'm going to touch that in just a moment. The most prominent philosopher to argue in favor of socialism is the guy we spoke about last week, Karl Marx, who taught that the driving factor beyond behind all of human history is economics. And so you see that socialism is an economic theory. Marx was born to German-Jewish parents in 1818 and received his doctorate at the age of 23. He's a pretty smart guy compared to American standards. He then embarked on a mission to prove that human identity is bound up in a person's work that economic systems totally control a person. Arguing that mankind survives by labor, Marx believed that human communities are created by a division of labor. Now, he saw the Industrial Revolution as changing the basic lifestyle of humanity because, in his mind, those who were freely 
who had freely worked for themselves were now forced by economics to work in factories instead. <clears throat> this is, as Marx felt, Karl Marx felt, stripped away their dignity and stripped away their identity and how they were reduced to mere slaves controlled by a powerful taskmaster. This perspective made the economics of capitalism the enemy of Marx's brand of socialism. Now, folks, listen to me very carefully. If you define yourself as per something that you do, whether it's a medical professional, whether it's a teacher, professor, or whether it's a hamburger flipper at McDonald's. If you set yourself up to defining yourself by what you do, you've been sucked into the idea that that is who you are and not what you do. God created each and every one of us in his image and his likeness. That is in our physical aspects. That is our ability to create, our ability to think, our ability to love, our ability to do some of the things that we are able to do. But I want to let you know that is not who you are. A doctor is what you do. A medical professional is what you do. A professor, educator is what you do. That's not who you are, okay? So, and the reason why I say that is because socialism seeks to do away with your individuality, but it also seeks to do away with private property. And, and Karl Marx surmised that capitalism emphasizes private property and therefore reduced ownership to the privileged Politburo few. Two separate communities emerged in Marx's mind. We talked about a, uh, Marxism trying to pursue a classless society. You never, ever find that. But what he does is he, he creates it in his own mind where you have the business owners or what is called the bourgeoisie and the working class, which is the pro or the proletariat. Now, according to Marx, the bourgeoisie use and exploit the proletariat with the result that one's personal gain is another person's loss. Moreover, Marx believed that the business owners influence lawmakers to ensure that their interests are defended over the workers' loss of dignity and rights. Lastly, Marx felt that religion is the opiate of the people and the sigh of the oppressed, which the rich use to manipulate the working class the proletariat has promised rewards in heaven one day if they keep working diligently where God has placed them, subservient to the bourgeoisie. In socialism, Marx envisioned the people own everything collectively and all work for the common good of mankind. His goal was to end the ownership of private property through the state's ownership of all means of economic production. Once private property was abol abolished, Marx felt that a person's identity would be elevated and the wall of capitalism supposedly constructed between the owners and the working class would be shattered. Of course, you never ever see that. 
everyone would value one another and work together for a shared purpose. Now, government would no longer be necessary as people would become less selfish. Do you ever, never, ever see people becoming less selfish? There are at least four errors in Marx's thinking. Now, what I want to do is I want to bring that up right here because Marx, Marx's ideology um, failed in Western civilization in the past, yet there are nimrods in the Washington District of Criminals that are basically thinking that they can go and implement this from Barack Obama on forward and, and even the shadow governments behind the puppet players of the puppet mar uh, marionetters uh, working the, the, the government machine. Okay? Yeah, I, I said that, and I believe that. We have a shadow government in the United States. Now, <laughs> Rob, you're saying, you're, you know, you're a minister and you're saying this... I'm saying this because I also believe that worldviews are behind every person. Everybody's got a worldview. And Marxism has a worldview. Marx had, Marx had errors in his thinking as far as his view of socialism. We're going to deal with those right now. First, his assertion that another person's gain must come from another person's expenses is a myth. The structure of capitalism leaves plenty of room for all who raise their standard of living through innovation and competition, and it is perfectly feasible for multiple parties to compete and do well in a market, a market of consumers who want to, their goods and services. Secondly, Marx was wrong in his socialist belief, in his socialist belief that the value of a product is based on the amount of labor that is put into it. Now, you you do get this. You know, a labor is worthy of their hire and their craftsmanship. If you go to a restaurant like Ruth Chris or a fancy steakhouse for that matter. You're going to pay a higher price because of the work that's put into it and the quality that comes out of it. But you see, a lot of times what happens is that the product, in Marx's view, let me, let me go back to this so that you can see where I'm going with this. Marx was wrong in a socialistic belief that the value of a product is based on the amount of labor that is put into it. Now, the question is, what type of labor is involved in it? The quality of a good and a service simply cannot be determined by the amount of effort of a labor, labor expense. For example, a master carpenter can more quickly and beautifully make a piece of furniture than an unskilled craftsman can, and therefore his work will be valued more, and correctly so, as I was just laying out for you just a moment ago, in an economic system such as capitalism. Thirdly, Marx's theory of socialism necessitates a government that is free from corruption and negates the possibility of elitism within its ranks. If history has shown us anything, it is that power corrupts fallen mankind. An absolute power corrupts absolutely. People do not naturally become selfish. 
they don't become less selfish. A nation or government may kill the idea of God, but someone will take God's place in that government. And let me just say that government is not God. That someone is most often an individual or a group who begins to rule over the population and seek to maintain their privileged position at all costs. This is why socialism has led to dictatorships on the political wheel so often in world history. And fourthly, and can I add most importantly here, Socialism is wrong in teaching that a person's identity is bound up in the work that he does. You're not a human being. You're not a human doing. You're a human being. Although secular society certainly promotes this belief, the Bible tells us that we have equal worth because we're created in the image and likeness of the eternal God. And true, in true intrinsic human value lies in the fact that God created each and every one of us uniquely in his image and his likeness. So was Marx right in saying that economics is the catalyst that drives human history? Absolutely not. What directs human history is the creator of the universe who controls everything, including the rise and fall of every nation. God also controls who is put in charge of each nation. Let me put it to you this way. The Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes, on whom he wishes, I have an issue reading here, bear with me, (laughs) Uh, on whom he wishes and sets over the lowliest of men. Let me repeat that. The Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whom he wishes and sets over it, it over it the lowliest of men. That's Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. Further, it is God who gives a person a skill and labor. It, it is God who gives a person the skill and labor and the wealth that comes from it. It's not the government. If you go and you look at another passage, it says, here is what I've seen to be good and fitting. To eat, drink, and enjoy oneself is all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him for his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. That is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 18 and 19. Socialism for all its popularity in many circles circles today. Folks, this is not a biblical model for society. In fact, it is in opposition to the Bible and the Bible promotes the ideal of private property and issues commands to respect it, such as commands like, you shall not steal, in Deuteronomy 5.19. Our, you know, that, that command would be meaningless in a socialistic society, and it would be meaningless without private property. 
Unlike what we see in failed experiments in socialism, the Bible honors work and teaches that individuals are responsible to support themselves. Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And the redistribution of wealth foundational to socialism destroys accountability and a biblical work ethic. And we see that in Jesus' parable in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, clearly, which teaches our responsibility to serve God with our private resources. So there you have it. You know, we talked about Acts chapter 2 last week that, you know, socialism uh, was not found in that passage because there was no government going and demanding the people give of their wealth. So the question that we are going to deal with now, you know, we talked about how should a Christian view socialism. I'm going to move now to the question of does the Bible support communism? And again, let me recommend to you Curtis Bauer's agenda movies because you'll see this laid out very, very concisely in how communism is infiltrating uh, the United States and how it has uh, infiltrated various pockets of the United States and government entities in the United States. So let's answer this question. Communism, the reason why I tie these two ideas together because, you know, we talked about socialism being an economic theory that Marx had gone and built, right? Communism is a branch of socialism. It is an experimental social system, not an economic system, based on a set of ideals at first glance, seem to agree with biblical principles. Far from it. But on a closer examination, little, little evidence can be found that the Bible even supports or even endorses communism. There's a difference between communism in theory and communism in practice. And the Bible verses that um, what we will see and those that communists try to tie in that seem to comply with communists are in fact contradicted by the practices of a communist government. In other words, they might take the Bible, they might say, look, see here, they're communists. But in practice, it is totally something different. Totally something different. And there's a surprising sentence in the description of the church in Acts chapter 2, going back to that again, that has led many people to wonder whether or not the Bible does support communism and has led many people to defend strongly the idea that communism is actually biblical. Now, we're going to visit this again just for emphasis because repetition is the mother of, it, mother of learning. Acts chapter 2, 44 to 45. It says, All believers were together and everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who he who anyone as he had need. Now, this statement seems to imply that communism, which has at its heart a desire to eliminate poverty by spreading the wealth around, is found here in the early Christian churches. However, there is a huge 
crucial difference between the church in Acts chapter 2 and a communist society that must be understood today. In Acts chapter 2, in, in the Acts chapter 2 church, the first century church, the people were giving to each other out of their own good will to those who had need. And they were giving freely without any regulation of how they were to give. Totally different from communism. In other words, <clears throat> they shared what they had out of a shared love for another person in need and had a common goal, living for Christ and glorifying God. <clears throat> In a communist society, people give because a system of government forces them to give. And folks, there was no, there, there was no forcing anybody to give anything in the first century church. But in a communist society, a person doesn't have a choice in the matter as to how much they should give or to whom they give. This, therefore, does not reflect on who they are, and it says nothing about their identity or character. Under communism, <clears throat> the cheerful, generous giver and the stingy man are both required to give exactly the same amount, namely everything they earn. So the issue is one of cheerful giving, which the Bible supports, versus forced giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. After all, the Bible contains a great number of references to helping, helping the poor, being generous with what we have, and looking out for those who are less fortunate. It is from Old Testament and even into the New Testament. God has standards that are higher than the government. When we obey God in this area with a cheerful heart, with a proper motivation, our giving is, more importantly, pleasing to God. What is not pleasing to God is giving out of compulsion. Because forced giving is not about giving out of love. It's not giving out of love, I guess I should say it that way. And therefore, you know, folks, it profits nothing. It profits nothing, nothing in the spiritual sense. And of course, we know that the spiritual sense is the highest reality. Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, I give, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I give nothing. I gain nothing. That's 1 Corinthians 13.3. So we could say this, loveless giving is the inevitable result of communism. 
capitalism is actually a better system when it comes to giving because it has proven to increase individual wealth, which allows its citizens to give out of their increase. However, communism has proven to simply make all its citizens poor, except the very few that are in power who decide where the wealth is distributed. But even capitalism won't work by itself as a system for aiding the poor. It depends on the citizens to be diligent, Proverbs chapter 10, verses, uh, verse 4, and generous with the fruits of their labor, 1 Timothy 6.18. And to give out of love for God and neighbor. Thus we see that God has designed for the physical and financial needs of the poor to be met by Christian individuals rather than any political system of government. So there you have it. Socialism is unbiblical. Communism is nowhere found in the Bible. And if you're a Christian and you think that they, I am wrong on this. I want to hear from you. You can email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to debate you on this, and perhaps we can do a YouTube debate on this. I would love to go and launch my YouTube channel in that area um, as, as this stuff happens. We're dealing with the secular worldviews because we... I believe that, that we need to be harmless as doves and as shrewd as serpents in dealing with our secular culture. Next week, I'm going to deal with progressives and eventually move into the social gospel and progressive Christianity because <clears throat> that's the plague in the Christian church right now. It isn't just the new apostolic reformation, and I know I'm going over here, but I need to, that we need to answer these systems because they're not biblical. The new apostolic reformation is not biblical, but it is miles and miles apart from progressive Christianity, which is just a repackaging of the emergent church of the late 90s, early 2000s. So, there you have it. Socialism is not biblical. Communism is not biblical. And we're going to deal with some other secular worldviews and some other ideas and stuff that are, that are creeping into the church and at the altar of God. So you've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for listening today. Like I said, if you have any questions, comments, if you disagree with me and you want to... Uh, hammer these things out. I would love to get an email from you at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. And you can, uh, you can take me on on that. I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to go and say, hey, Rob, I'm a Christian. I disagree with you. I would love to hear from you. So uh, until next week, I, I'm going to wrap this up here and we will be back next week, Lord willing, with the whole uh, whole thing on uh, what is progressivism and what is progressive Christianity. I just may deal with progressivism and maybe wrap up some of these other secular worldviews. I don't know, but we'll see how the Lord takes it. But until you go, as you go out this week, uh, go out. And I know that COVID mandates and everything, I know the Supreme Court has just gone and slapped OSHA in the hand as far as 
these businesses and everything with a COVID mandate. And that's a good thing that happened this week. So I'm glad on that. But be, be wise as serpents and, and harmless as doves in that because COVID is a reality. Please understand that. I want you to be healthy. Don't be willy-nilly. Don't, don't be, you know, crazy, you know, half-cocked and, you know, going saying, hey, I don't care. Allow God to use your immune system. But at the same time, if somebody asks you to wear a mask, do it out of kindness, do it out of love and, and do it out of, uh, not because you're forced to, but because you love the person that you're ministering to. So until next week, this is Rob Lundberg from Let's Get Real Podcast. As you go out, like I said, as I always sign off on this podcast, go out, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, gentle as lambs, giving a gentle answer to those who are asking you for why you are a Christian. And as you go, go out and give them heaven. And we will be back with you next week. Lord bless. Bless.